The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. Welcome to Bloomberg Law. I'm June Grosso. A major legal win for President Trump was overshadowed by his acquittal in the Senate impeachment trial. A federal appellate court threw out a lawsuit by 215 congressional Democrats who say Trump has been violating the Constitution's Emoluments Clause by profiting from foreign government spending at his Washington hotel and other properties. A unanimous three-judge panel of the D.C. Circuit said the House and Senate members did not have standing to sue Trump. Joining me is Andrew Kent, a professor at Fordham Law School. For those who are unfamiliar, start by explaining what these emoluments lawsuits are about. There have been a number of lawsuits that were filed after President Trump took office, all about the so-called emoluments clauses of the United States Constitution. There's two of them. The primary one that people have focused on is called the Foreign Emoluments Clause. And it says that any person holding an office of profit or trust under the United States, and that's widely but not universally thought to include the president of the United States, uh, but these people holding offices under the United States cannot accept from any foreign government any present emolument office or title of any kind without the consent of Congress. And the arguments have been varied, but the ones that are are most commonly made is that President Trump, because he retains such a significant financial interest in the Trump company real estate empire, is receiving payments from foreign governments. For example, if a government uh, diplomatic delegation stays at the Trump International Hotel in D.C., or something like that. You know, other kinds of, uh, of emoluments of payments to, to Trump have been talked about. For example, the Chinese government facilitating uh, you know, Trump organization getting uh, trademark approvals and things like that. But the main claims are about essentially the possibility that foreign governments are currying favor with President Trump and his administration by spending money at his hotel and resort properties. And in a variety of different lawsuits, um, different groups of people have been claiming that this violates the Constitution's Emoluments Clause. So now the case before the D.C. Circuit involved 29 senators and 186 members of the House. What did the court decide? The court decided that these members of Congress do not have what's called standing. It's a requirement that the Constitution imposes that essentially says three things. It says that anyone who's going to be suing in federal court uh, must have suffered an injury to themselves, a a direct and concrete injury to themselves. They can't be complaining about an injury to anyone else. That the injury they are uh, complaining about must have been caused by the defendant they are suing. And then the third requirement is that a judicial decree that the plaintiff is asking for could actually provide some redress to their injury. So it sounds abstract, but it's a quite important requirement that in every single federal case, you know, must be met. And essentially, we're looking for kind of the, the right plaintiff who's truly been injured by the defendant being sued and a plaintiff who's asking for a judicial decree that will have, you know, a real impact on the injury the plaintiff is caring about. 
And so here, these members of Congress are saying that essentially they've been deprived of their ability to vote on whether to approve foreign emoluments or not to the president because he's just been accepting these foreign emoluments from his private businesses without bringing them to Congress for a vote. And the court decided that they didn't have standing. Why? So sometimes, rather than private individuals, members of Congress have sued, or sometimes members of state legislatures have sued trying to enforce the law or claim that you know, somebody in government is violating the law. And generally speaking, the Supreme Court, and then based on that, the lower federal courts are, are pretty hostile to the idea that legislators as individuals have a direct and concrete injury that they should be able to go to the federal courts to resolve. And, you know, what the Supreme Court has said in the D.C. Circuit that's just decided this case, throwing out the suit by the members of Congress, you know, said that the Supreme Court's decisions had clearly foreclosed this case. The Supreme Court's rule basically is that individual members of Congress don't have standing to sue to complain about law violations by the executive branch. Sometimes an entire House of the legislature or the legislature as a whole might have standing, but here you know, it was just a suit brought by individuals. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. In the opinion, the court says our standing inquiry is, quote, especially rigorous in a case like this where reaching the merits of the dispute would force us to decide whether an action taken by one of the other two branches of the federal government was unconstitutional. Did they just come up with that especially rigorous standard? No, that's something the Supreme Court has said a number of times going back probably 40 years or so. And the idea is is basically one of what we call separation of powers. You know, the court often suggests that, especially when it's disputes between Congress and the executive branch, not only then, but especially there, that the Congress and the president should often you know, be required to try to work out their differences without resort to the judiciary. You know, the judiciary, in a way, should kind of stay in its lane, should stay back a bit from some serious disputes about the constitutionality of government action. And, you know, the idea is that, you know, the courts are not supposed to be kind of the, you know, the constantly interfering referees of disputes about the legality of, of government action, that Congress has lots of tools to to use against the president, and it should, it should often try to use those rather than running to court. You know, for example, refusing to confirm executive branch nominees until the president, you know, gives in on something Congress cares about, or withholding funding for a project that the executive branch wants until the executive branch comes around to Congress's view of things. I've been talking with Professor Andrew Kent of Fordham Law School about the D.C. Circuit Court ruling throwing out a lawsuit by 215 congressional Democrats who say President Trump has been violating the Constitution's Emoluments Clause by profiting from foreign government spending at his Washington hotel and other properties. The court found that the House and Senate members lacked standing and threw the case out. Here's his reaction. It was a, uh, a total win. This was brought by 230 Democrats in Congress on emoluments. It was another phony case. This is just one of three lawsuits ping-ponging back and forth between district courts and appeals courts in D.C., Virginia, and New York. 
So, Andrew, the members of Congress in the D.C. case now have the option of asking for a hearing by the entire D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, an on-bank hearing, or going to the Supreme Court. What are their best chances? Well, on the one hand, um, the lower court was unanimous and, and it treated it as a fairly straightforward decision. So I think that reduces the likelihood that either the full D.C. Circuit on bank or the Supreme Court would take it. On the other hand, it's, you know, it's quite a significant uh, issue in our, in our politics and, and government today. And there might uh, be a feeling of a, of a need to, um, you know, to, to rule on something like this, especially since other, uh, other plaintiffs who've been trying to challenge the, you know, the, what they, they see as uh, President Trump's receipt of unconstitutional emoluments from foreign governments, uh, other plaintiffs have been unsuccessful in getting their cases heard. So there's perhaps might be some sense that uh, you know, a major issue like this would be you know, entirely unreviewed if, if, it, uh, if it was not heard either by the en banc court or the Supreme Court. So there are two other cases percolating through the courts, one in New York and one in Virginia. So in Virginia, already the three-judge panel ruled against the AGs of Maryland and D.C. and in favor of Trump. And that's gone before an on-bank court. Do you have any inkling of how the on-bank court might come out on that? It's hard to say. You know, it was argued in December, and you know, some people thought they saw you know hints of how it's going to come out. Um, I'm 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 not sure. I think the issues are actually pretty difficult. You know, there Maryland and D.C. had a variety of theories for why they were supposedly injured by um, you know what they think is President Trump's receipt of these these foreign uh, government emoluments. But there are things like um, a claim that, you know, the D.C. Convention Center and a, and a convention center owned by the Maryland uh, government uh, are, are, are uh, receiving fewer um, visitors and, and therefore less revenue than they would because um, foreign governments are trying to curry favor with the president by going to you know his uh, hotels instead. You know, there are theories that... Um, they're not wholly novel in the sense that you know there's something called competitor standing, where um, where you, you, a company is making less money because of illegal action by its competitor, and that can be an injury that gives you standing. But it's certainly novel to um, to you know allege this against the you know the sitting president of the United States, uh, and in this context of these foreign emoluments clause uh, lawsuits, uh, you know the foreign emoluments clause has just not been litigated before. So I, I think it's somewhat difficult to predict uh, how these cases are going to come out because uh, of the novelty, because of the political sensitivity. Um, And the Fourth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals, which is hearing this, is closely divided between uh, Democratic and Republican appointees also, which I think, you know, is an additional level of difficulty in predicting outcomes. Now, the case in Manhattan is a different story. The Second Circuit Court of Appeals revived the lawsuit there by restaurant and hotel owners accusing Trump of violating the emoluments clauses. The plaintiffs there say they're losing business because state and foreign officials were switching to Trump properties. Do they have a better case for standing than the AGs or the Congress? You know, it's interesting. You know, this is the case that so far has you know had an initial victory at the court of appeals level, but you know, I personally see it as the weakest of them. You know, Congress is specifically given in the Constitution the right to control whether or not a president receives foreign emoluments or not. 
it's pretty remote from the concerns of this constitutional clause to think that a restaurant uh, trade association is the group that really uh, you know is receiving injuries and should be able to sue to enforce something like that. I would think that this, if it got to you know the Supreme Court level, that the, the suits by the individual restaurant owners and restaurant association would be the one that would be least likely to succeed. Would be my my gut, but so far you know the federal courts of appeals have disagreed with me. This use of the emoluments clause. It's not the straightforward kind of use that the framers were thinking about, is it? Well, we we know a lot about the concerns about corruption from foreign governments that the framers have, but we don't know very much about what they thought about how this this would be enforced, right? From the text of it, it seems clear that they thought that this should be something that should be directed to Congress's attention. But whether they thought that you know, Congress might legislate to provide a framework about this, or Congress would case by case review payments from foreign governments to presidents to see whether they would approve them or not, you know, we don't know much about that. But certainly, it's probably fair to say that they wouldn't have envisioned you know, restaurant owners in New York City you know, suing about this. Um, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's probably right. Thanks for being on Bloomberg Law, Andrew. That's Andrew Kent, a professor at Fordham Law School. I'm Jen Rosso, and this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com.